I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This is an ABC podcast. You know, last week I went out to the Melbourne North game and I found something really quite spectacular. (laughs) What? What's that? I found the mascots change room. (gasps) Isn't there like a golden ticket? <laughs> it's like the um, pot of gold at the end of a rainbow. I didn't know the mascots had a change they room. Do. They have their own change room? Yes. So there's, you know, the um, teams have their own and then the umpires and then the mascots had one. But what? It, tell us, talk us through it. Well, what did it look I just like? Think it's like I can't because it's where all the magic happens. Oh, I see. Like, it's like behind gotta, the curtain yeah, in the Wizard of Oz. Yeah, you've got to keep the secrets. <laughs> but it, it's, one, <laughs> it's one thing seeing maybe a demon go in there and change and everything, but can you imagine um, the Philadelphia? Flyers ice hockey. Google gritty and you will be scared. Please don't do it in front of kids, listeners. It is one of the most scariest mascots (laughs) I've ever seen in my life, but it is almost nothing on Nutsy the Flying Squirrel (laughs) and Stuff the Magic Dragon. And Victor E. Green, who's an alien mascot of the Dallas Stars. Now, imagine what his changing room would be like because he'd have to have, like, planets around Galactic. (laughs) I found something during the week as well that pertains to mascot. Look, I feel very much late to the party on this because I found a a Twitter account that has 80,000 followers and it's called Mascots Minute Silence. (gasps) So if you're a listener, you need to get it. It's a series. It's basically a Twitter account dedicated to photographs of mascots who are observing a minute of silence, or sometimes observing the national anthem at the start of games. You know, often with the team, and there's like so, so there's close up photographs of like what looks to me like a duck with its head bowed. Well, you know, <laughs> last week there's incongruous. because at the AFL <laughs> totally. at the AFLW games there's universal mascot of the Sharon football, and so the yes. football actually lined up for the North Melbourne team when they were running out. And I was wondering if that was like an omen. Oh, yeah. Gave them just that little extra boost. I think it does. You use the word incongruous, Alicia. That's right. The juxtaposition of the mascot's face, which is often (laughs) like a very (laughs) big smiley duck face or a lion's face or whatever it might be, bowed in a moment, a sombre and kind of serious moment and just that that clash and it made me wonder whether we needed mascots faces to be changeable for these more serious yep. moments because I think it could be seen as a little bit disrespectful whether also we need mascots to have a second outfit or even whether we need a second tier of mascots available during the summer Solemn months. moments because Scampy the shrimp cannot be really <laughs> sad but can I tell but you during a... the summer months like well can I tell you a secret I know someone who works at a major channel and I saw some outtakes of Humphrey B. Bear and he's with kids. It's like a B-roll. Humphrey a, never had undies, did he? Is that right? Just I the I don't vest? think so. That's yeah. not groundbreaking. But the bees, a bee went up his suit and he, you have never seen someone throw off the head of a mask <laughs> and the expletives that came out of his mouth. Humphrey. So you've got all these kids Humphrey going, Humphrey B. Oh. 
and there. he's screaming. <laughs> Poor Humphrey. So there are real people yeah. that's suffering right. under these suits. We all need to have There's like a issues. minute silence for all of the mascots mm. who are suffering. Let's do that now. Okay, good point. She's a dominant force. If there is a weak spot out there, she can actually turn that around and use it to your advantage. At the top of the goal square, she kicks it. She snaps a spectacular tumbling goal. And the third Groundbreakers. History makers. This is The Outer Sanctum on ABC Radio. It is the Outer Sanctum for another week. We're ushering in round five of AFLW and boy, there are some massive games this week. As we hit the pointy end, it's all getting very serious. I'm your host, Emma Race, and it warms the cockles of my heart to be here this morning with my football-loving lady friends. I'll let them introduce themselves. Hi, I'm Kate Sear. I'm Lucy Race. Alicia, sometimes. Katie said that with a question mark well, at the end, like uh, she's Ron Burgundy. I was because I was unsure about whether to introduce myself as Kate or Helen Terry because Shiloh Curtis, who's in the studio and going to join us soon, our ABC Grandstand AFLW expert, has been telling me this morning that my new haircut makes me look like Helen Terry from Culture Club. So I was, I had an identity crisis. We will post something. <laughs> we'll post a picture of you and Helen side Terry and see side, if you've ever been right. in the same room at the same time. Usually we say you look like Kevin Rudd, so I, I reckon it's probably. That's an Just post your bitmoji. That's what I want to see. <laughs> Her bitmoji looks like Ellen DeGeneres. That's true. Oh, That's true. Kind of a bit of all of them combined. Let's talk about football, ladies. There's been um, some really interesting developments this week in female footy participation in the country. Lucy, what were those um, stats that came out? So the big one that I think we really want to talk about today is a 14.2% growth in female participation. And that was a major driver in the 6.5% growth overall in people playing Australian rules football. Women now make up 32% of all participants playing the game, which is quite extraordinary. Extraordinary. And that covers growth internationally. What it doesn't cover is the people who play AFLM and AFLW. What does that mean when you've all of a sudden got all of these extra people playing the game? It is a really good story, but it throws up some challenges. What it does is put some pressure on resources and facilities. We're seeing that there's a challenge for grassroots clubs in how they think about the allocation of those resources. This week, Sylvie, who is a mum of a player, raised her concerns on a call to ABC Melbourne. There was a Pick My Project government initiative last year. Fitzroy Football Club got on the bandwagon and was successful in getting lights installed. And it was all about, you know, supporting women in AFL. So the Premier Oval is Brunswick Street and the girls have got one game for the season. And the men have got nine home games and they only play 18 games for the season. I'm really disappointed in Fitzroy. What's really interesting about that story is that in applying for that grant, um, the quote from the football club was that they were wanting to give women an equal opportunity to play football in Yarra and that they were seeking upgraded facilities needed to put women on an equal footing. There could be reasons for the way that they've fixtured um, training and games, but what I want to do is kind of talk about it more broadly and the fact that any time that you take actions like that and where you place those, where you allocate those resources, it sends a broader message. And I think it's important for clubs to really think about what they're doing and question why they make all of their decisions. I think there's been assumptions for a very long time that need to be challenged. And one of the ways I think you can do that is by making sure that you've got diverse voices anytime you're making decisions. So I think it's really important that you bring in players and you bring in people who haven't um, traditionally been part of um, football clubs and that when you do get feedback that you listen. I think in being open to share, you've got to be open to sharing this 
space. And while in some cases it might feel like you're actually losing, I think what you're going to see is you're actually gaining some positives that are quite different and maybe something that you haven't been used to seeing. You know, one way of thinking outside the square, which I heard about this week, is the Gold Coast Suns, um, who are getting a licence to play next year, have actually um, got a partnership going with a local club out in the eastern suburbs with um, Whitehorse and they'll help in terms of providing jumpers and I think they'll be called the Whitehorse Suns and there'll be an opportunity for those players to then go and spend some time in Gold Coast and so that is that is one way that those um, I guess clubs are, are looking to have those um, relationships with grassroots clubs. Lucy it's interesting because you mentioned often when these debates about are happening about how we incorporate or, or um, include women and girls in sport and and what we do with with greater access there is often I think a sense that the turf belongs to men and boys who've played there for so long but I wanted to just um, remind people that there's an overarching context within which these debates happen and that is I think something we need to bear in mind and that is the context of human rights there are some really interesting questions I think to be asked about what governments at state federal and local levels are doing to ensure that they deliver on their obligations from a human rights perspective to ensure equality of access for women and girls. I could say a lot about this, but just to run through a few things, there are a number of international conventions that deal with human rights and sport. So, for example, the United Nations Universal Declaration on Human Rights, which was, of course, introduced after World War II, says that everybody has an equal right to rest and leisure and to freely participate in the cultural life of their community, which I think includes sport. The International Convention on Economic, Social and Cultural Rights similarly recognises the right to participate. Um, But two other conventions, I think, uh, and charters are especially important. So internationally, there is a convention on the elimination of all forms of discrimination against women, to which Australia is a signatory. And that specifically enshrines the right of women to participate in sport. And the International Charter of Physical Education, Physical Activity and Sport says this, every human being has a fundamental right physical education, physical activity and sport without discrimination on basis of ethnicity, gender, sexual orientation, language, religion, political or other opinion and so on. And there are a few other categories mentioned. And I've been thinking about this as we come up to a federal election where these kinds of issues are live. Just last night I saw Tim Wilson MP release a video. Um, It's on Twitter and Facebook and other social medias. I think it's also on his website where he was calling on an expansion for netball facilities for young girls and women in Victoria. And I expect that we might see some similar pictures from politicians to their local communities because this is a hot issue. And so in two senses, I think, you know, that's something to keep an eye on, to ask your local politicians what they're doing, if anything, to deliver on these obligations. But also from from politicians, I think they need to bear those rights obligations in mind. I just wanted to say too, um, sometimes it's hard to participate in a sporting event, especially as a parent where you're having to get kids to games. And I know I've been asked recently to play footy and I can't because of my kids' sport. And not that that's the only reason, but just that uh, a lot lot of time is taken up with different commitments and especially work commitments and so forth, which is hard uh, to get to sporting events. And also there's a sense of, there's a, a privilege that comes along with being able to get to these games. 
I just wanted to say I was asked as part to be part of the AFL Masters, which I thought was football, oh. Shiloh, but it, uh, it's it is actually um, the Aussie Rules Football. It's a national standardised set of modified rules designed to reduce the risk of injury and as benefit of all the thing, wonderful things that sport uh, involves and it consists of four times 15-minute quarters. And it's for women over 35 to get together at their club level. You can go to the AFL website and click on the links to find these. But I love it. It's also the Supers and the Masters are 35 to 45 years and over. But here's where the, the name I reckon should be changed. The Seniors are 45 years and over. The Legends are 50 years and over. I think they're 45 years and over. Oh, they're need a better name. <laughs> <laughs> They're already legends not, in mine. It doesn't go seniors, legends. I think supers, masters, awesome. Seniors, not so much. But the fact that so many women are playing sports, awesome. Okay, my ladies, here's something that I really want to talk about in the melee today. And I am going to disclose that um, I am a mad, passionate Hawthorne supporter, as are you guys. And we are the number one ticket holders of the VFLW side. So we have a lot of interaction with the women's team and we love them very much. But we do try really hard on this show to keep our bias in check. And you know, we've been supporting the AFLW from the get-go. We support all the players and all of the teams and we love them with our whole hearts and that will never change. But we don't have it we don't have skin in the game, you know, from our historical bloodlines team. Anyway, the thing that gets me is I've, I recently heard Peter Gordon say, who is the president of the Bulldogs, say this on ABC Radio. Yeah, they weren't all that keen on having a licence, of course, uh, two first. or three years ago and they're yeah. now quite resentful that the AFL are discriminating against them. It's kind of interesting to hear that argument take place at president's meetings. So that's Peter Gordon talking about why Hawthorne doesn't have an AFLW licence or the fact that they don't. And we hear this all the time. People are always really talking about how Hawthorne didn't want a licence, they didn't care, they don't deserve one. That's kind of the rhetoric that we hear around it. I've got to say, it does feel odd hearing the sitting president of the current AFLW premiership side kind of taking issue with a club that doesn't even have skin in the game. And, you know, normally if if there was a presidents versus presidents or captains versus captains or players versus players having a bit of trash talking, that would end up on the front pages of the news. But this doesn't. It just goes by. And this constant dismissal of Hawthorne's AFLW aspirations, they really frustrates me. And I asked Hawthorne for a comment because I thought it's only fair and reasonable. We do it for any other club. And they concede that while they were late to women's football, they just didn't want to put their hat in the ring without being sure that they could offer a sustainable, high-performance program, which is a very Hawthorne thing to do. And we know that the AFLW program was rushed and people were given licences. It all got brought forward three years. So it was never because Hawthorne doesn't support women playing football. Hawthorne have really demonstrated in the past few years their authentic commitment and we have been up close and personal for that and we can Mm. guarantee that that's the case. The beautiful thing about AFLW and this community is that we all support each other. So I would really urge people not to bring their bias from the men's game into the women's game. When people shut down Hawthorne as a genuine female footy advocate, they're not just speaking to the Hawthorne president or to the Hawthorne board or to previous, you know, premierships that the men's team might have won. What they're doing is they're letting the air out of the tyres of women who play for that VFLW team and for the girls who support that team. They're shutting down the 45,000 female members who could be fierce advocates of the AFLW competition and we need all the advocates that we can get. But they're also letting the tyres out of all of the girls' aspirations of like the girls who live in the Eastern Corridor and the ones that have these big footy dreams and for them 
you know, Hawthorne could be the place that they get to really make those mm-hmm. dreams become a reality. It really irks me because not just because I'm a Hawthorne person, but because it really goes against the beautiful, inclusive, pioneering spirit that makes this competition so very, very special. I don't see that there's any value in saying to people, you didn't do this two years ago or you didn't do this three years ago. I think one of the things we always talk about here is um, being open to change, being um, you know, willing to do the work. And I think that there should be some kudos for that. And I think it's really easy just to say, oh, well, you know, they shouldn't get a license and twi- you know, we shouldn't even have it on anyone's calendar because they didn't put their hands up at the start. And you know, there were other clubs that didn't put their hand up at the start and I haven't heard a lot of criticism about that. No. And I mean, if the AFLW is anything, if the AFL, I should say, is anything it is an absolute demonstration of the fact that you get a second chance if you're if you're a man in this game you know <laughs> so can we just afford the women's competition just a little second chance somewhere along the line i'm not really clear or quite sure about what peter gordon's point is in the long run for all of the reasons you say um all of us and many of our listeners who are big fans of women's footy just want to see the grow the game grow and expand and they want to see as many opportunities and pathways for women in as they can regardless of what might have happened a couple of years ago if Hawthorne and also some other clubs didn't throw their hat into the ring they've thrown their hat into the ring now mm. and they they have made a clear commitment to women's footy I think we should be embracing and celebrating that regardless of who the club is whether it's Hawthorne or Essendon Port Adelaide Sydney who a lot of people thought Sydney would ask for a women's license or apply for a women's license and they didn't. What I want is is to see eventually all of those clubs showing that they care about women's opportunities. Um, however we get there, it doesn't matter. It's like getting engaged three years ago and you say to someone, well, you didn't get married three years ago. I don't think you should get married now. <laughs> why did why, you wait so long? I have been looking for the perfect analogy in Alicia sometimes. <laughs> you haven't let me down. We've actually got a, a master's superstar. Who could still She could still pull on the boots now sitting in with us. We're loving getting your um, your messages. Just got one um, SMS that's come through. Shortage of sporting grounds. The problem is a lack of space in the city as well. Yep. Maybe not enough mm-hmm. money. I reckon backwards attitude nowadays is less of an issue, which I'm keen to ask our next guest about. We are joined in the studio by the ABC Grandstand AFLW correspondent and expert. Shiloh Curtis, how are you, Shy? I'm really well. I like the idea of being a correspondent. I've always kind of dreamed of <laughs> travelling the world and telling you the world about... The well, world. I do, yeah, but, you know, like it, you know, reporting on the big issues in the world. Go yeah, love for our current Like the lack of sporting grounds that are um, for women and girls playing AFL. Do you see that this is still an issue or do you see less sides? Yeah, it's interesting. Moment. I want a national roadshow at the moment for Golf Australia to promote our Vision 2025 women and girls strategy and it's one of the questions that I get asked actually quite frequently by golf club members about, well, if you want to bring more women and girls to the game that means we have to like do something different on Saturday with our golf competition <laughs> and, and there's not enough tea times and I'm like well and I take it back to the AFL example and if you look in Victoria in the last two years I think the number of new teams since AFLW has come on board has equated to about another 16,000 girls and women that are playing football not yet playing golf by the way but we'll get them there <laughs> um, but I think what's really interesting about that is I talk to them about this and say well we haven't gone and built another six, you know, another 700 football grounds. What we've done, what they've had to do is just rejig or reshuffle how those facilities, those physical facilities are utilised. And maybe men's training doesn't go for two hours anymore. Maybe it goes back to 90 minutes or for 90 minutes that the, you know, the teams share the facility. The boys have one end, the girls have the other. And um, and if you look at the number of junior boys teams at some footy clubs, they've been doing that for years and years in their junior mm. ranks. Again, it's about reframing the hierarchy of where the teams sit. For too long it's been the senior men, the junior 
junior boys and then the women and girls come after that yeah. and, and that's not okay. So we just need to be strategic and, and smart about the facility use. But people are now calling that out and that's what we've seen mm. this week on ABC Melbourne with that call, especially Absolutely. people saying that's that doesn't seem fair. Shiloh, we are so eager to speak to you about there's one particular game that's coming up this week, which is North Melbourne playing Adelaide. It is going to be an absolute cracker, a showdown, if you will. How do you see those two teams pitted against each other? I think they're probably the likely grand final teams, um, just in terms of depth across every zone. Can of they the be? Can they be yeah, North like, Melbourne A for Arden Street? Yep. Yes, they're yeah. both yes. in A. a for... Because I'll play a crossover game in the Thank semis, you. and okay. if they both win their crossover finals, I'll end up in the granny. But given probably the relative strength of the second division, the uh, second division, <laughs> there's a, there you go. Um, the second <laughs> pool. It's a Freudian um, slip, Shiloh. It is a little bit, but, you know, given the relative strength of that at the moment from what we've seen so far, you'd probably say, you know, on form at the moment that probably the Conference A teams may win that and then go into the granny. But I think probably those team, two teams have got the depth across every zone of the ground that if they do get injuries, they can cover them. And they're both extremely skillful teams and from a cohesion perspective, uh, they're working really well together. And look, this weekend, Courtney Munn comes back in. She's only a second gamer. So, you know, she kicked four goals on debut. That's a lot of pressure on the shoulders of a, first, of a second gamer. So she, don't expect miracles again from Courtney Munn. She's mm. just got to get her eye in and learn how to play the game at that level. Uh, big out, though, for Adelaide this weekend is Courtney Cramie. And we don't know how long she's gone for. It could be a month in- injury, which wow. means a lot in the context of our season. But they get Chloe Shear back. And isn't she a great Amazing, young yeah. talent? So good. Last week I thought Emma King was really good in the forward line and, and she'll be hard to cover. How do you think – do you think um, Jess Allen – is it Jess Allen or Sarah, Sarah Allen? Allen? Sarah Jess Allen. is in the military. Yeah. I knew yeah. I'd get them wrong. But They're not <laughs> twins, are they? They're no, just sisters. Best, they're yeah. 18 months apart, okay. I think. Okay. But so Sarah Allen I think has been great in defence. Amazing. Amazing. she'll um, take Emma King when I she's – in the forward line? Well, I think covering the height of Emma King, that's the critical thing. You've got to have a forward that draws a really good defender by height and ability. Mm. Um, I think absolutely that's the natural matchup for me. And I love Sarah's rebounding work and her maturity and her composure under pressure and her ball use. So her disposal efficiency is phenomenal for her age. I think she'd probably have the wood on Emma. I'm going to put it out there now and say I think she could probably take that contest quite easily. Um, she's a she's a ripping kid. Yeah, really, really talented. Shiloh, I want to ask you about Erin Phillips, just a superstar of the competition, but she's been playing a bit of a different role this year up the ground a bit bit more in the midfield I think how have you seen that and how are you seeing her season compared to to other seasons there's a consistency about her game this year that I'm really enjoying that she's playing a role as opposed to the role and and that was really important in season one she just got her eye and of course we all just went oh my god and given that she'd been away from the game for 19 years we're all like blown away by it last year I don't think we're even we didn't see what she could do because of her injury and so she limped through the season this year she's fit she's healthy and the teams doesn't the team's got greater depth and the kids that they've been able to recruit can carry their role and responsibility. Marinoff's two years older. We look at what Marinoff's doing as well. Um, she's going to be a genuine superstar in the competition. I think she's got some freedom to just go and play a role. We've got an SMS here. Not a fan of the conference system. It's like AFL is using AFLW to do their experiments on. Now, that it sets up an interesting query because I've heard some mail that, that they are looking to potentially conference the AFLM 
system going forward and potentially they are using this as, as a, you know, experimental kind of process. What do you know? I haven't heard anything official internally or I haven't, I actually haven't spoken to anyone internally about that. But, you know, this is oh, not... Oh, mine's s- all gossip and innuendo as well, by the way. <laughs> but, and what do you think of, what do you think of the conferencing? Well, I think the AFL's raised this for years now. You know, I remember reading media articles about this 10 years ago and certainly we know Josh Vandaloo, who's been, I guess, the constructor of the current competition system and he lo- we know that he loves the US conference system. The thing is they have a lot more teams over there. I wouldn't be surprised if they were – and I think they've done that with some of the rule changes as well to see what it's like. You know, I think the boundary throw-in has been really positive as well. So they may look to bring that in in the men's game potentially, but I think the conference system, first of all, is about wetting the public's appetite, getting them used to that and then potentially looking at doing it to try and create a more balanced draw in the men's game because, you know, since we've gone beyond the 12 teams that we used to have in the VFL, there's been a lot of criticism around the draw about it being uneven and that's always going to be the way. But to try and combat that, they've got to look at some kind of strategic fixturing. I have an issue with the latter, of course, because there's just too much inconsistency at the moment with the expansion and players and the way the AFLW set up the the best player to your worst player on your list. There's so much of a gap that one or two injuries can really shift the season for every team. And so you you could end up with what we've got this year. I do think that if there is a finite amount of time that you do need to have an uneven fixture. Uh, and so you've got to create a, a, a balanced formula for how you do that. I don't have an issue with their formula. I think that I would have done the same thing. It's all mathematically got reason to it from, from my perspective. Probably all they needed to do was just have one ladder, which is what they do in the men's game. They should have just done the same thing, I think. Shy, Collingwood haven't obviously had a really good season this year. Um, there was an article in The Age by Michael Fowler, What's Wrong with Collingwood's AFLW side? And their match against Carlton will be an interesting one. In the article, he mentions that the culture at Collingwood is, is quite fantastic or whatever, but I'm not asking you for trade secrets, but what do you think is the problem with Collingwood at the moment? I think Collingwood at the moment is a product of its past. Uh, I think some in, in the establishment of these teams in the first year, I think some clubs had a much greater appetite for female football. They were much better prepared and they made really good decisions around you building something from nothing. You have to have, uh, you've got to do a lot of good work around integrity and people and have good process and get the right people in the right roles at the right time. And North Melbourne, who were really devastated to miss out uh, the first time round, North Melbourne and Richmond were probably two clubs that should have gotten a licence the first time around because they actually had done the groundwork. They understood how to run women's football and female football and they'd been doing it for a long time and been involved in that space. But of course we know that didn't go that way. So I think Collingwood, um, I think their tender process, I know, wasn't as extensive as, say, some of the other clubs. And, and it's like anything. It's a pre-season. If you cheat in your pre-season, well, come season time, you're going to struggle, aren't you? And I think – I just don't think Collingwood did the, the legwork from uh, a, an organisational perspective when they set up that team. And so, you know, you've got coaches and players going into a club that might not have done – the hard yards in their pre-season, essentially. And so they're then just trying to survive and do the best they can. And, of course, when things are tough in a first year, when, you've, when you're at a club like Collingwood, you've got all the pressure of the world on your shoulders because you are the shop front of the AFL in some respects and of this sport. And that's extra pressure to carry when you're just trying to set up a team from scratch. That's so much work. So I think Collingwood right now have, are a product of what they had previously. I think the appointment of Jane in their, in their high-performance management role for the women's part of the club – 
I think, is an exceptional appointment. She's a strong leader. I know Wayne Seatman feels incredibly supported by her and, and they're the first team to publicly now say that they're on a rebuild. They knew that and they went into the draft rebuilding. Wayne has worked with these kids for a long time. He knows how good that draft was last year and they recruited accordingly. So, And they're playing kids. So this weekend, Darcy Guthridge will go to crack, mm. who was their first pick last year and she's had injuries, but they're just now going to invest in their kids and, and, and build the club from here on in. They've got their house in order and they're ready to go from here on in. I do love a milestone. I love that you just dropped it there. The first AFLW club to de- to declare a rebuild. I mean, really, let's Yay. put that in. Let's put that in the history books. We're getting some lovely SMSs. You're going to love this, shy because you've been involved in the game for such a long time. First time in 30 years teaching that I've seen a bunch of girls at a Wodonga schoolyard playing kick to kick. Yard duty puts a smile on my face from Dave which is pretty nice. That's what I'm seeing a lot of. Lots of girls out on the oval kicking the footy. We've also got a caller, Mark. How are you, Mark? Are you there? Uh, yeah, no, I'm here. Yeah, I'm good, thanks. Now, you're from Richmond. Are you a Richmond man? No. What, who do you go for? Hawthorne. Oh, well, welcome to the Outer Sanctum, Mark. <laughs> hey, what I do thought, you... I thought that might help. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think of the AFLW? Um, I think that the AFLW will be what takes AFL to the world. I think uh, it'll be successful in America and overseas. And and then we'll get some equality for the AFLW. Well, Mark raises an interesting point because if you follow AFLW International or AFL International, you'll actually see that there are so many women's teams playing all over the world. Like there's a big competition in America, but also London um, and other countries through Europe. And I saw this week, um, I've got some mail on a potential player who may be drafted in in next year's draft, who will be the first international born player who has um, playing the game internationally and is going to come and bring what she's learnt here. Thank you so much for joining us today, Shai. Who do you like out of North Melbourne, Adelaide? Who are you going to tip if we forced you to say? Oh, I'm going to have to go with my Melbourne Uni roots. Uh, there's a guard of honour tomorrow, North Melbourne's first home game in Melbourne. They are honouring their nine-year relationship. They established that back in 2010 before there was any talk even of a national women's competition in 2020. So North were the first club to really get on board female footy. And so, um, yeah, I'm going to vote with my Melbourne Uni colours tomorrow and go for North. Of course you are. I'm Chelsea Randall and you're listening to The Outer Sanctum. When we pay our respects to the traditional owners of the land, you'll often hear an acknowledgement of Indigenous leaders past, present and emerging. I've often wondered how that really manifests and what that means. But I've realised our next guest is one such leader, both present and emerging. We welcome to The Outer Sanctum, Kirby Bentley from the Carlton Football Club. How are you, Kirby? Good morning. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Would you consider yourself a leader, both present and emerging? Well, eventually I'd like to be looked at one of those, but I still like to say that I'm pretty young, especially on Facebook. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. We all play that game. So you've played majority of your footy in WA. So I love watching you play for Fremantle. But I was really surprised when you made the move to Melbourne. What was the consideration for coming to Carlton? Obviously, I grew up in in Western Australia. I grew up in Mount Barker, which is called Cracker Country. At the moment, I'm in talks with both the boys about changing that to Bentley Cracker Country, but (laughs) I guess that's another conversation. Yeah, well, Fremantle, it was obviously my first club and the the one that I was at at AFLW Season 1. I was a priority pick there and vice-captain Season 1 as well. Uh, Season 2, I came off an ACL reconstruction, so... I struggled those those first years, but when you look at the scope of things, the, it's not just footy. There's so many other factors. So, you know, there's work and, and your employment support while you're playing in this competition and then there's your family and family dynamics and, and what that looks like. So there are a lot of stresses that, that were happening around me and it was, I guess it was time for a change. 
can you confirm whether the WA football bubble, is it similar to the Victorian football bubble? Um, I'm still a little bit of an outsider here, which is a nice feeling. So it kind of feels like a, a clean slate. WA is pretty small, so everyone knows everyone. Everyone knows who everyone was in love with once. So, <laughs> and it's just, yeah, it's, it's a crazy world to be in. And it's, yeah, it's a really hard one to kind of change perspectives, especially if you're, you're coming off an injury or if you've had a shocking performance the year before. And it's, yeah, it's just a hard thing to kind of shift. Your family has a really important backstory to the reasons why you came to football. Are you comfortable about talking about them with us today on the show? Yeah, of course. So 2009, my mum's sister was murdered by her husband, domestic violence, um, it was obviously a shock to us and we didn't know a lot about what she was going through at that time. So a lot of what we see is a physical or that, that physical abuse, so bruises, the really obvious stuff, but this one was psychological. So he was he was bringing her down and, and draining her in, in that way and we had no idea as a family. And, and this happened and mum and Annie Andrea and my uncle, so their younger brother, were really close because of my, I guess, selfishness, I... I didn't really have that relationship with my two younger sisters. I wanted to play netball. I wanted to be the best I could be. I wanted to play for Australia. So I really removed myself from what was and what is true to my values and morals now. And that's something I didn't know at the time. So when that happened and, and I saw my mum pretty much break, um, I wanted to make sure that I redeveloped that relationship with, with Ashley and Jade, my two younger sisters. And Ashley was playing footy and I couldn't ask her to come to the game that I once loved because I no longer love playing that game. But, yeah, I went down to training and I just said I'd train and I kept training and then I said I was never going to play and then I played and now I'm still playing. <laughs> Is she still playing too? Uh, she does every now and then. She's I'm just a full 100% give it all I've got and try and be the best I can be whereas Ash kind of cruises through things. But the three of us have really kind of bonded over the last 10 years, which is great. It's such a horrific story and domestic violence is a scourge on our society and we know one woman a week is dying in their homes and even some weeks more than one. I've heard you talk about your experience before and it's so visceral. Um, when it's happening in the home, it's a really hard thing to educate on. Do you think sport has a role in helping educate and break down and decrease violence against women? I think 100%. So I didn't grow up in a... Rose's type of family environment either. So I saw it as a kid and, you know, family's our priority and it's and it's and we're based around not secrets as such, but like our mob would speak out about it and make sure that, you know, we're going to the uncle or the brother or somebody who has, who has done it and having a crack at them, but it's no longer spoken about afterwards. And it's, it's more like, you know, that's their relationship. It's not ours. We can't put our foot in. And a lot of families, I find that aren't Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islanders keep it a massive secret because it's embarrassing. But in fact, it's it's not an embarrassment. It's 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 a really selfish and disgusting act towards women. And sport plays a massive part. So as a kid, I loved going to play footy and that was my freedom. I loved going to play netball and that was where I was at, you know, my happiest. Because um, it, it gets you away from everything. So when we play footy nowadays, you, we never know what anyone's going through, whether it's, you know, even a, a mental illness or their challenges um, within themselves or what's happened that day or that week or that month. That's a really hard thing to do. But if you create that environment, like there's 30 girls at our club, so we're able to bounce off each other and, and use that and build those relationships to make sure that it is okay to talk about. 
um, we can share those stories and, and the impacts and how it has influenced and impacted us. So I think we're in a really powerful position to create those conversations to make change the best way we know how. And the more we speak about it as AFLW players, the more it gets spoken about from our younger or our next generation of players. And then the AFL men start to come on board and, and support that as well, which is which is really important. Yeah, so the AFL men have such enormous platforms and such huge megaphones. I call them the megaphones of privilege. And we've seen them this week. There was some more horrific racial abuse uh, aimed at Eddie Betts. We did see a lot of male players, um, you know, retweeting it and, and saying how disgusting it was. And maybe that's changing a bit over time. Maybe we are starting to see a change with racial vilification and how people are taking that on as something that shouldn't be a part of the game. Yeah. Do you think we'll ever see male players speaking out against violence against women? I think so. Well, every male player has a mum. So I think it's so important that we stand up. Like our ma- mothers are our, our strength. They're all, you know, essentially our rock. If I think if we start, if our men start speaking out about it, they're protecting that person, that, that one, or they're speaking out on behalf of that as well. And they've also would have sisters and eventually might even have daughters. So whatever they say now is going to influence and impact the outcomes or what that looks like for their kids or their children. It's not only the daughters as well, it's the sons and how, how they react and, and they grow up with that kind of respect towards women. So it's not so much, it's, a, it's not a men's world anymore. It's, it's our world that we share together and it's how we actually go about that. So with the Eddie Betts situation, it's for me growing up with racism as well, you're only taught what your leaders teach you and my parents were pretty good. They taught me how to be respectful and show respect to my elders, regardless of whether they're related to us or not. We'd call them uncles and aunties and, and whatever else. But we'd never use language like what was used on the Eddie Betts thing. And that's disgusting, but it's it's also that's what they think they know. Um, and that's how shallow they are and they're living in, in that world. But unfortunately, it does hit home and it and it hurts a fair bit and I think Eddie handled it well and it's great to see the boys um, supporting that. We know that Carlton, at Carlton there's the Carlton Respects Program which is to advocate for um, respectful relationships between women and men and, yep. and towards women but also Carlton's just finished their reconciliation action plan. Do you see those things working at club level? Yeah, I think the reconciliation action plans at club land probably works a lot better than it does from an industry perspective, I think, because clubs have a closer rapport or relationship with the community. So their ability to hold family days and functions and kind of have that um, integrated together develops those relationships to to be able to send messages or share those kind of stories, which is engaging. And I think you need that engagement and that touch to be able to do that and, and share the messages that you need. Carlton do it pretty well and um, we've just done the filming for Acknowledgement to Country for the girls and the boys um, for all of the home games that Carlton play at. So that's going to be shown for all of AFL season, which is a really exciting thing, but it's it's empowering for us, as especially with Nat Plain and Mad Press Parkers being young Aboriginal women. So for those girls to speak proudly about you know our culture and, and sharing that, but recognising traditional owners is, is a powerful move and it's something that I've not been a part of, but I think it's something that Carlton have established pretty well. And you're working on the wrap for, so the Reconciliation Action Plan in at AFL House. How's that work going? I mean, (laughs) you've come from WA, you're working at AFL House and you're playing AFLW. You must feel like you've fairly 
you know, knee deep in the season. Yeah. How's that being received? So this is my first AFL job and it's probably my last AFL job. <laughs> I don't like working in the game and playing in it. It's just I just you kind of need to separate your worlds um, and that's just the way it is. Maybe in a couple of years it'll be different, but it's a different industry to work in in regards to the reconciliation action plan and having one of the biggest markets in the country um, with our game. So our product are the players, which essentially are the men predominantly. So everything revolves around them and their the game and, you know, what's going to bring in the most revenue and, and that's just a part of business, I guess. So the challenge for me is having conversations that create more conversations amongst our employees at AFL House and how do we do that in a respectful way without people thinking that they're going to offend or step on toes anywhere. Um, that's a big challenge. If you could do anything, if you could walk into work, say on Monday, right, and you get to be gill for a day or a commissioner for a day <laughs> for a week even what would you target what do you think is a gap my focus would be on aflw because i think our women create a massive not only market but can deliver really important messages and i think our girls do it really well and we stand by each other and you know we've been through the hardest yards i think but also then yeah the aboriginal and torres strait islander kind of pathways that get the opportunities from communities and country towns that allow the girls to get their foot in the door. Um, they're not having, well, not having to play in a VFL or a waffle competition or a QFLW competition. They can actually just send in a video and just say, this is what I've got. I want to be a part of this system. What does that look like? And making that happen, I think that's, that's a really, really important thing, especially because our season at the moment goes over three months. It's a, enough time to be able to make that happen without losing too much. As it gets bigger, it's going to be harder financially as well. But what our girls bring is is something different. It's like watching Cyril Rioli and Eddie Betts and you know, Liam Ryan play. It's going to change the way that we watch the game. So it's not going to be as structured and as set as it, as it is at this moment, but it'll start challenging coaches to coach differently and educate our players to play differently and think more like footballers, um, which is, I think is really important for growth. So it's probably a two, a two-sided win. We've seen a few Indigenous female players leave the game. There's family responsibilities and duties. Are they different? Uh, culturally, are the responsibilities different for some of the Indigenous players than you see for the non-Indigenous players? For our women and our men, Aboriginal women and men, it's different again. So our responsibilities... As women, our families come to us first. So if things are going wrong or there are challenges, we're the ones that are supposed to help bring that glue or we're the glue that brings that all back together. So I'm the eldest daughter. That has been my responsibility for a long time, especially the last 10 years when we've gone through what we've gone through. But our young girls are going through the same things and when there's losses in families and then there's suicides and everything else, it's really hard to deal with but... It's hard to speak to people when they haven't experienced it, although you can be as understanding as, as you want to. Sometimes it's really challenging, especially in an AFLW environment. It's really hard for them to actually get the concept of how that is challenging for us. So a couple of our girls have left due to family things. Sometimes it hasn't been by choice, but just the lack of support and understanding from clubs. Some girls needed to step away to make sure that their well-being has come first and a lot of our girls don't really understand culture as in AFLW. I'm a massive advocate for our mob and I'm proud to be black or Aboriginal so I share with all of our girls at Carlton and now they want to be part of the mob which is exciting. I said there's a process to it but 
it's all around education, those conversations. So, you know, Australia Day, for example, having those conversations and, and why I think the way I think about it. Yeah, it was a really, it's really refreshing. Not only do we see um, no female coaches, there's no Indigenous coaches. I don't think there's any Indigenous commentators of the AFLW game in commentary boxes. No. Does that make your head spin? Yes. Think about people impacting on the game, talking about the game. Well, some of our greatest players are Aboriginal players. So when you're thinking about it on a, on a bigger scale, it's speaking just AFL in general at the moment, it's some of our boys should absolutely be trained up and, and in those positions because they see it from another perspective, which creates a new new kind of conversation and and has people or the audience thinking differently in the way that we're viewing the game. So the same thing should be happening in our AFLW, especially as, as raw it is. Um, our men can be doing that just as much as like our women as, as we start to eat it. I'm a little bit older, so I won't disclose my real age, but, you know, that's something I'd eventually I'd like to do, not so much be a key commentator, but more of a special comments and just having the on-ground conversations, which is engaging and, and our young kids can kind of see visually that there's a pathway not only on the field but they can see that once they exit or if, if playing's not not their goal or their dream they can actually still be a part of the game because they love it that much that you know it can be in commentary or on radio or wherever that may be. Do you still love the game? I mean getting this close to the to the flame of it you can yeah. often see some of the flaws <laughs> and you can see some of the gaps. Yeah. Do you still love it? Yes I wouldn't play it if I didn't Footy or sport has always been my freedom. So I grew up thinking I was a boy. When I was younger, I didn't realise until I was probably about seven until I saw the difference between a girl and a boy, which is an interesting <laughs> interesting short story to share. But I used to run around no shoes on, no shirt and commentate in the backyard, like kick the footy into a bush and be Dennis Cometti and say, you know, Bentley up in the pack playing for the Eagles and come out with scratches and cuts and that'll be, you know, my way of playing it. And Dad would have like a Denka rub smell and I'd rub it on and I'd stick tacks into the footy boots to make that same sound. So I've always loved playing and I still love playing. There was a time probably two years ago where I was told that I probably wouldn't be able to play again um, just because I had two back-to-back knee surgeries and that really hurt me. So put me in a in a dark place yeah there's no way that I would ever give that up that's why I'm here and I appreciate every opportunity that I get so if I get to play I get to play if I don't then I'm going to be challenging people you know for why and I want to know answers so then I I know where I can go with that and my time's done when it's done but it's not anytime soon I'm pretty sure I hope (laughs) and is your body holding up through this season it has so I haven't played since the 2nd of September 2017 a long time so Hickey and, and Davey have both come off knee reconstructions 12 months and that's a pretty significant time but mine has been a little bit longer and I haven't fully got back from even the first. I'm really surprised how far I've actually come but I feel like I'm just starting to warm up again which is which is a nice feeling. Well that's what I'm telling people. <laughs> <laughs> Carlton have got a really massive game on their plate this weekend after losing to Geelong last week. What's the vibe around the club? I think we know our potential. I think we understand we understand that we need to win this game. We need to win it convincingly and we need to play quality four quarters. We can't just go out guns blazing and, and show what we showed in our first half against Crows. That was, you know, highly skilled and we just understood what we were doing. But we need to make sure that we do that consistently over four quarters. And, there, yeah, there are some nerves around that. Obviously, the pressures to win and perform and stay in our top in our conference, individual performance. So I guess that comes with AFLW and their competition and the players' expectations, but hopefully we can get on top. 
How do you feel about conferencing? <laughs> I'd rather a full season and be able to play teams a second time just because you know what you would have done differently. I think that's important for the growth of the game and, you know, we're not kick. We need to be able to play the game and that's from me, my perspective as a player. Um, I think that's really important. I'm going to finish up but I have one final question without notice, Kirby. <laughs> Can you confirm or deny that Buddy Franklin asked you to the school dance and you said no? Yeah, I... <laughs> <laughs> it was it was a school ball. He got his sister to ask me because I grew up playing netball with the girls, so I like obviously know the family. And I said no, but I just probably should have. <laughs> we ended up going together. You know, we ended up going together, but that's what it was. <laughs> I felt like a cougar. I'm a year older than him. <laughs> well, Kevin Bentley, you're the best kind of cougar, and all the members of the Outer Sanctum have just fallen off their perch at the concept of saying no to Lance Buddy Franklin's <laughs> <laughs> offer. Thanks so much for joining us on the Outer Sanctum. No worries. Thanks a lot for having me. I'm Ali Blackburn and you're listening to the Outer Sanctum. Thanks for that, Ali Blackburn. We're glad to know that you're listening. And just a reminder that if you need to speak to someone for extra support um, regarding violence against women or family violence, you can call 1-800-RESPECT. We have been receiving lots of SMSs, which are very interesting. One from our dear friend, Sir Swamp, who is the stats meister. Eb Marinoff averaged 15 disposals in each of the first AFLW seasons, 23.5 this year, 187 tackles after 19 games no other player in either the men's or the women's comp has had more than 134 at the same stage of their career she's good she's a tackling machine (laughs) we are joined in the studio now i did say at the start she's team d's and she's also team acl but she's so much more than that we welcome to the outer sanctum shay sloan how are you shay hey i'm really good thanks for having me so you're on the crutches you've had the surgery how are you feeling yeah, good. Yep, I'm about um, one week post-surgery now. So went in last Thursday. I'm pretty well hobbling around without the crutches. They're kind of just precautionary now just in case I do lose my balance or anything. But, um, yeah, feeling pretty good. I'm, yeah, I'm ready to start getting into proper rehab activities. I'm a bit sick of sitting still and watching Netflix. I think I've kind of done all the shows that I need to at the moment. Well, you're pretty active, Shay, and you've had a um, career as a volleyballer, but I read that you played, I think it was 49 games uh, as a junior, and you stopped playing football when you were 11. You actually came back to football in 2017 with Casey in the VFLW team. What was behind that decision? Yeah, I did play as a junior and I loved every minute of it. And obviously for me back then, there was no real pathway that was obvious. So that's why I kind of pursued some different sports. But um, I was contacted by Todd Patterson from Melbourne Footy Club. And he kind of put the idea out there that, you know, there's an opportunity for you to come back if you'd like to and come down to Casey and have a go. And I jumped at the opportunity straight away. I'd been a year out of volleyball then and was really missing the competitive sports side of things and wanted to get back into a team environment. So, yeah, jumped straight at it and, yeah, I've loved every minute since. I want to ask you about that interrupted pathway because not only did you have to finish playing when you when you were 11 or so, but you, you would have watched your brothers continue to play footy as well. How, how did that feel and did it impact on your view of or, or love of football? Um, I don't think so. I think that was kind of just normal back then and to me I knew that that was what was going to happen. I was aware of it from the very first time I started playing footy that you know I had a window of a few years 
to play and I'd really enjoy it then and then that was kind of it and yeah obviously we're a really big footy family and I've loved watching my brother do what he's doing with Adelaide and my other brother played a lot of local footy as well and you know being a part of the footy clubs and everything has just been a lot of fun and I never really thought twice about it until the AFLW kind of kicked up again and thought this is awesome how good the young girls that are out there playing as a junior do actually have these people to look up to now so yeah I'm really glad that it's changed but yeah it was kind of the norm for me back then and something that I yeah knew was going to happen. Volleyball's such a different sport obviously you you, you know you go from spiking how do you then go to such a physical contact <laughs> you know to smothering the ball and so forth it's such a different feel. Yeah yeah it's very different it was a real shock the first time I got tackled or bumped or you know had the ball with me and someone was coming at me without a net in between so um, it took a lot of adjusting to both mentally and physically and um, it's something that I definitely got used to come pre-season this year I was really ready for it and actually enjoying the tackling side of things and getting physical so it is very different to volleyball but yeah it's been a lot of fun. One of the things I've heard you talk about is that while you were playing volleyball for the national team and you also had you know you were watching your brother play football you really noticed the um, in particular the wage gap and how much it cost you to pursue your sport as opposed to actually earning an income from it. How did you feel about that and can you sense any change? Yeah, I definitely feel like it's changing at the moment and it's so exciting that, you know, women are going to have the opportunity like we have at the moment, I suppose, to be playing a high level sport and be getting paid for it. Unfortunately, through volleyball, it was a really expensive sport to be a part of. There was a lot of travel involved, um, a lot of training all around Australia that we did have to fund ourselves. And I'm so lucky that I had really good parents and um, a really yeah supportive brother as well, both yeah, just normally and financially too. He did help me out a bit when a few of the trips were pretty expensive. So I think I worked out I was paying about 10 grand a year to play volleyball. Yeah, Roars was getting paid a lot of money, which he really deserved. And um, it was really exciting for him. But it is obviously something that would be great if it can continue to change for women. Given that your family is such an example of, you know, an AFLW player and an AFL player, I've been so curious about how male players, obviously, they can see what the financial impact is on female sports people. But also when we look at the social media kind of vitriol that comes the way of AFLW players, does your brother ever kind of talk about that or do you speak to him about that? Um, we don't really talk about it too much. No, it's kind of, you know, I don't take too much notice of what goes on on social media. I think I'm so lucky to be in the position that I'm in and I'm just loving every minute of it. And you're surrounded by these people every day at the footy club that are just so happy to be where we are. So I think we're all close-minded in the fact that we're at Melbourne Footy Club or we're in the AFLW and we're just enjoying the time that we've got. Obviously, you hope that that mindset kind of changes around the social media side of things because it is tough. You know, we all work full time or put a lot of time into other things and then come and play football as sort of an extra thing on the side at the moment. So, yeah, hopefully that does change. But, yeah, not too much conversation with Roars about it. Shay, I've heard a rumour and I want to put it to you and, and, <laughs> and get I'm you intrigued. to clarify whether or not this is true, that your brother Dylan, who I understand was the captain of the Upway Tacoma Tigers first 18, and you, while you were the captain of the Australian women's volleyball team, that the two of you together gave your brother, Rory, some stick about being an underachiever because he wasn't the captain of the Adelaide Crows. <laughs> now he is. So yep. two questions. One, is it true that you gave him stick? And two, does he have you and Dylan to think for inspiring him on to, to now be the captain of the men's team there? Uh, yeah, he definitely does. Yeah. 
He, um, <laughs> we gave him, we did give him a lot of stick. It was great because it's the first thing we both had over him for our entire lives, pretty much. Rory's <laughs> the golden child, and we kind of look for every oh. everything that we can to to bring him down a little bit every now and again. So <laughs> Dylan and I were both captains at the same time, and yeah, Rory definitely knew about it, which is oh, great. <laughs> I love it. Um, last week was that was a tough loss to Melbourne, and I know you may not have been around the club in the last week, but how do you think they're going to bounce back? Yeah, I did. I actually went back into the club on Tuesday night. Um, watched it on TV and obviously it was a really disappointing loss. I think we all know as a team that if we play our best for four quarters, we can definitely beat teams like that and definitely be competing at a really high level as well. So I think the attitude around the club this week was let's just bring that consistency for four quarters, play our best footy and we know what we can do. And the girls are really positive straight away again. In such a short competition, you do have to bounce back really Mm -hmm. quickly. And yeah, they're all excited to get back on the track and get back up to Sydney this weekend and hopefully yeah, beat GWS tomorrow. This is The Outer Sanctum on ABC Radio. We're so pleased to have you with us today and we've just been getting some beautiful text messages through this one, which is just lovely. I have followed Collingwood for over 60 years and I loathe Carlton fiercely, but (laughs) after listening to the intelligent, articulate and inspiring Kirby Bentley, I'm considering to follow Carlton in the W. Oh my God, I can't believe it. Well done, Kay Bentley from John in Mainridge. So John, the test of your passions comes tonight when they play each other, Carlton versus Collingwood. Collingwood, what way will your heart lead you? AFLW does pull people's hearts in different directions. A lovely tweet in from Laura. When I grew up, it wasn't cool to be a girl that followed footy. Last week at the Sandfall women's game, I saw these girls looking cool as heck, bouncing and kicking footies, playing marks up at halftime, and it brought a literal tear to my eye. It's such a change. You know, mm. we're footy crazy and there's three sisters that are on this podcast and we love footy so much. That's why, you know, we all kind of got together to do this. But we didn't even have a pumped up footy in our house. We never... One of those plastic ones. Yeah, we had a yeah, plastic, really hard, hard plastic one. No <laughs> wonder I'm no good. <laughs> <laughs> That's That was the blockage to your talent <laughs> pathway. Okay, so there's some games coming up this week. Let's do a quick whip around. Brisbane versus Geelong. 19-year-old ruck Renee Karras is set to make her AFLW debut this weekend when the Cats come out, so she'll be one to watch. So in for Geelong is Kate Darby and Renee Karras and out Asta O'Connor suspended and Maddie Boyd, who's suspended. And for Brisbane, Lee Caslet is expected to return, which is really great. And Megan Hunt, who kicked her first AFLW goal in her first game of 2019, will return this week. It should be a great match and um, both are absolutely desperate for the win. That's going to be a cracker. Who do you think? Who do you tip? Uh, I reckon the Lions, just because of... Home ground, ground advantage. Yeah. Jeez, I like They're those a big cats. cat too. Yeah. <laughs> big cat, big wow. little cat. Big cat, little cat. My Carlton girls take on your Collingwood girls, Alicia, at yep. Princess Park. Carlton have named some youngsters. So Emerson Woods, who we've followed through our Hawthorne VFLW connection, she's got her first call up and so has Charlotte Wilson, who has a basketball background and is incredibly athletic. Um, Collingwood, of course, have got Ruby Slicer back in, Ash Brazzle, who has been sensational this season. And as Shiloh mentioned earlier, Darcy Guttridge will be making her um, debut after breaking her collarbone in pre-season training. So both need the win for different reasons. I'm, of course, on Carlton. 
Alicia, I assume you're on the pies. (laughs) Tomorrow, GWS Melbourne. Yes, we've talked a little bit about this game. This is a crossover between the conferences and it is a a must win for both. Both of them are sitting fourth on their respective ladders. It's going to be, again, it's going to be a battle of the midfields. GWS's midfield found its mojo last week, I think. It's taking on one of the best in the business in Melbourne's. I thought last week, while North held Melbourne really well, a lot of that game was played on Melbourne's terms. So I just wonder whether GWS will have the um, defensive power to stop them. Um, The X factor that I'd be looking out for is Alicia Newman for Melbourne and Yvonne Bonner, because I think the two of them are just going head for head, like outdoing each other each week with um, goal of the year contenders. I think I'm going to say Melbourne. <laughs> <laughs> and look, the final game of the round is going to no, be... No, there's two more games. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Sorry, Kate. Oh, well, You're being Sandra over... Sully with the late <laughs> news, aren't you? <laughs> yeah. I've skipped over North and Adelaide because we talked about that already. Of course, I'm on board Adelaide. Go Crows. Um, <laughs> but the final game of the round will be the Dockers and the Dogs. That's going to be at 6.05. That's Melbourne time tomorrow afternoon at Fremantle Oval. Um, they've played twice before. Bulldogs were clear winners both time. But I think this is a really hard game to pick. Um, free had been looking great and then they lost last week pretty convincingly to Adelaide. Both teams absolutely need to win and Conference A will tighten up a lot if they do. The biggest story I think is that Isabel Huntington is back and I can't Massive. wait to see her um, yep. back after an ACL. So, But I think Frio. Oh, oh, Frio good. Frio are so good, aren't they? We have loved being with you again today and I would like to thank uh, Shiloh Curtis, Shay Sloan and Kirby Bentley and, of course, our producer Tess who makes all the magic happen. We have a very special treat to leave you with today. Um, we are going to play you out with a song by Bet Goring who is the one of the captains at Geelong. It's a beautiful song. We just have to say one more thing. Go, Go footy! footy! Here's Bet Goring. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.